Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Coming up, uh, most of the hour we'll be spending with KCCI uh, anchor Steve Carlin. He's uh, retiring after more than three decades at the Central Iowa TV station. A well-known face and voice and uh, news reporting from Steve Carlin will talk about. Um, I'll ask about his thoughts about how uh, highlights during his career, uh, how the TV news industry has changed Also, interestingly, his struggles with depression and his advocacy for mental health care access. But first, to breaking news. The governor's private tuition funding bill is now law. Yesterday, late yesterday, as a matter of fact, the bill raced through the legislature for votes in both chambers. It was signed by Governor Reynolds just minutes ago. At the State House, uh, that's where we're finding Grant Gerlock, IPR's education reporter. Hello, Grant. Hi, Ben. I'm here. Hi. Walk us through the last 24 hours, or even less, because this all really got underway yesterday evening when the bill uh, went through some debate, raced through uh, both chambers for votes, right? Yeah, I'm. It, you know, considering that it passed in one night in both chambers, that's quick, but it became a bit of a marathon getting through it with eight hours or so of debate between the House and Senate. It started uh, in the House bypassing uh, uh, some rules that typically require a bill like this to go through the Appropriations Committee, but the House voted to bypass that for, for this bill. And then in the Senate, Republicans proposed amendments um, on the bill in such a way as to, to block any amendments coming from Democrats. And Democrats called those attempts to speed the bill through even faster, uh, you know, violations of of how legislation normally works through. Uh, But in the end, all opponents really could do is take up time with four speeches. And it eventually passed the House. And then uh, a little after midnight, it passed in the Senate, too. And it eventually passed comfortably in both chambers, um, although there were some Republicans who voted against it nine in the House and three in the Senate, Republicans voting against the governor's bill. Mm-hmm. All Democrats, I assume, voting against it as well, though they are in, the, dis- right. in the distinct minority, especially since our midterm elections. Uh, you were just with the governor at the bill signing. Uh, what did the governor say? She said uh, this is a, a big day for education in Iowa. And from her perspective, she says this bill will fund students, not systems, she says the solution to improve education in Iowa is not to pump more money into the same system. And of course, this has been a big goal of hers to pass a bill like this. Um, she's made proposals in the past that didn't pass. This one did. And not only did she get this one across the finish line, it's a bigger bill. It's much broader than anything she proposed before. And when lawmakers were debating it last night, several Republicans said this is um, – you know, this is the governor using the mandate she feels she received from Iowa voters in her victory in November. Mm-hmm. Our listeners, many of them will will wonder at this point, so what does this mean for Iowa schools, the, our school system going forward, K through 12? Uh, when will it, this new law be felt by Iowans and in what ways? Well, they're, they're working pretty quickly to try to, to get it in place. Um, the governor said a, uh, a request for proposals and RFP will go out today to 
contract with a company that will administer the program. So they're looking for someone to carry that out. Also, a website will go up, I believe she said, on the Department of Education page, just as a, a placeholder for parents to get information and put their names in so that updates will come directly to them. Um, but how it eventually affects schools really will depend on just how many students sign up for these education savings accounts. Um, there are estimates that um, around 1% of public school students will leave. Uh, after four years, they believe that perhaps 42,000 students will be getting these ESAs. But those are really just kind of educated guesses. So the whole cost of the program, how much it impacts public schools, how much private schools grow, those are things that are, are still to be seen, how it really plays out on the ground. Tell us a little bit about how this fits now in the national contacts text. How unique is Iowa in the country with this form of educational savings accounts? Now, this makes Iowa one of two states that I'm aware of with fully universal ESAs, that is, no income limits. Uh, Arizona is the other one. West Virginia apparently is pretty close to that point. Um, Indiana's is pretty expansive. Um, but uh, several states have been taking steps to move this direction, Republican-led states. So Iowa probably won't be the last to, to go this route. I've seen proposals working through legislatures in Utah and Florida. I mean, Florida already has a program, but they're looking to expand it even more uh, by dropping income limits. So this has become a, a bit of a trend in Republican states across the country trying to get these kinds of laws through. As you pointed out, minority Democrats had no way of stopping this. Uh, but how have the opponents of the new law reacted? Uh, what do they say, for instance, this means for Iowa's K-12 through education? Well, they raise a lot of concerns uh, for how it will affect school funding, especially in the long term. Uh, you know, as they lay out the cost of this bill, the sort of working assumption is what it would look like if Republicans continue to increase public school spending by 2 2.5%. And uh, public school advocates, Democrats, have said all along that's not enough to keep up with costs. It's not enough to deliver uh, programs that meet the demands of their students and their families. So if funding continues along at that rate, what Democrats and opponents are saying is eventually it will just continue to deteriorate the quality of the public schools because they won't have the money they really need to deliver the quality education that, that people expect. Uh, they raise concerns about rural schools, which would have a disproportionate impact if they lose uh, a number of students, uh, and also students who may not uh, gain admission to a private school. That could be for a number of reasons. There are no requirements for private schools to take a student under this law. I know many do take students with disabilities or special needs, but they're not required to. Um, so those kinds of um, admissions requirements can vary quite widely from one school to the next, and that can impact the accessibility for different students to access these funds that are meant to be available to any student in the state. IPR education reporter Grant Gerlock at the Iowa State House just minutes ago, the governor signing her signature private tuition funding bill. Um, Grant just described how unique that is in the country. Um, and uh, Grant Gerlock, uh, well, we look forward to your reporting uh, later today. Uh, also a reminder, analysis uh, on Politics Day tomorrow on this program. Uh, Grant, thanks for the breaking news coverage. Glad to join you, Ben.
It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. For the remainder of the hour, my guest is Steve Carlin. He's a familiar face, voice, uh, a news figure from central Iowa, uh, uh, anchor in recent years of KCCI-TV News, which covers central Iowa. He spent more than three decades at the station. He's been host of the Nightly News for several years. He's a native of Iowa City, but graduated from Iowa State University. And in his career, he's received numerous awards, including five regional Emmy Awards for Best Newscast. Carlin has also been a longtime advocate for mental health care access, working alongside the state's chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, and he's been really open with the public about his own struggles with depression. Steve Carlin in our Des Moines studio. What a pleasure to have you on, Steve. Well, uh, Ben, thank you very much. Um, I uh, am a longtime listener, first-time guest, and uh, I appreciate what you do for the state of Iowa and for having me here today. I do have to let you know I am in the studio in Des Moines at 2111 Grand Avenue, and this is uh, a serendipitous 360-degree moment for me because I began my career in this building uh-huh. uh, when I was a student at Iowa State. Um and then uh, when I started my broadcast career at WI, I worked out of this building. Uh-huh. And I haven't set foot in here since I left uh, for KCCI in 1989. So, I bet you it uh, looks a little different. Is, little looks a little different, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it, it's fantastic. So uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for giving me this moment. It's it's just fantastic. All right. Well, of course, River to River is a, is a team effort. So uh, uh, thanks to all of our team from you. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, before we reflect on your career, uh, tell me, why retire? now, Steve? Um, I uh, honestly uh, think that I've I've done just about everything that I can in this business. I'll be 63 years old at the end of the month. Um, you know, I always told my wife uh, that I'd like to retire while I still have my own knees, my own hips, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, we can go do things. So, um, yeah, I think it's just time to give somebody else a shot at mm. that chair and uh, do their thing with it. T- take us back to your early days, because I understand you you attended the University of Iowa, but are a graduate of Iowa State University. Walk us through, and, uh, you know, many of us has, have been there. Very few of us have been in our teens or early 20s and know, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. It's it's usually a, a path of trying to figure that out, and I have a feeling it, it was the same for you. Yeah, it was uh, a long and securitous <laughs> path for me. Um, I... I uh, always knew that I liked to write. Um, you know, I uh, worked on my high school newspaper, was uh, editor my senior year, graduated uh, from Iowa City High School and went to the University of Iowa right across town. And and um, I knew that I liked to write, but I didn't I, – I wanted to work for the paper. It was very difficult to get on the Daily Iowa staff at that time, especially as a freshman. And, and – um, I can also say, very honestly, it's not a good idea to go to college in your hometown, <laughs> at least when your hometown is Iowa City. Um, Why is uh, that? Why is that? I was distracted, okay. let me put it that way. Distracted yeah. by what? Um, all the things you can do in Iowa City. <laughs> 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 so uh, I had a lot of fun, met a lot of great people, and um, I wouldn't take it back for a moment. But, uh, you know, I was going to take one year off. My dad became a little disappointed with me and said you know what, um, maybe if you take some time off. So I was going to take a year mm-hmm. and uh, turned into four. 
And uh, then when I decided to go back to school, I, uh, I knew that uh, I wanted to get into broadcast journalism and the place to go for me was Iowa State. Yeah. No, uh, right. And, and so so I, I take it when you say the distractions, uh, the academics didn't work right at first in Iowa City. Yeah, I, don't wanna, I, I didn't flunk out. I didn't do that. But um, I, uh, I could have been a better student. Um, I think all of my... Uh, all of my report cards all the way through, uh, you know, all the way through public school uh, said, you know, does not, uh, what, live up to his potential, <laughs> that kind of thing. That that but, line has been used often, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it, uh, I think. I think they were correct with me. It just took me a while to get going, Ben. Yeah, I mean, okay. I just I just needed to uh, find out what I wanted to do, and I ended up in, quite honestly, what I think was a perfect occupation for me. I can't uh, imagine being any happier with a career than, right. and then than I am with mine. You have so many appreciative uh, viewers uh, uh, as they look uh, to your retirement, and, and no more uh, Steve Carlin to watch on their screens. But let, let, talk, talk about that sort of formative period. What did you discover in those that break of, of several years, and what did you discover at Iowa State University uh, in your sort of new focus? Uh, what happened then? Well, what I discovered um, during those four years off is um, – how you know? I think probably what my father wanted me to discover uh, was that uh, you know making a living takes work and commitment and education. Um, um, neither of my parents had the opportunity to go to college, and so when uh, when I wasn't doing uh, very well, they were they were disappointed in me, and uh, rightfully so. And um, so I it. It took four years for me to get uh, the train back on the track, but uh, then uh, once I decided to go to Iowa State, and you know, uh, for a guy who'd never lived anywhere but Iowa City, it was uh, kind of a roll of the dice. And so uh, I went up to Iowa State, and you know, things just took off. It was fantastic because I was older. Um, I think that uh, maybe I approached and had been through two years of college. I approached it um, maybe uh, with uh, a little less awe and a little bit more um, determination uh, than I did uh, during my first two years. Uh, I got to Iowa State, and because of my classes, I was in three weeks. I was on uh, the radio doing, um, you know, the student newscast for. KASI radio, and then uh, within three months, I was on TV uh, at WOI um, doing some reporting, and I ended up, uh, during my the two years um, I spent at Iowa State, um, working as a reporter well, about 20 hours a week, uh, kind of as, uh, you know, vacation fill-in, and, you know, this person's sick, Steve, can you come in kind of thing, and just, um, it was fantastic experience that, um, you know, you... you you just you couldn't get anywhere else, so mm -hmm. uh, it was the best pop possible situation for me. Mm -hmm. You made the the transition from radio in your early years as a student uh, to television. What was that like? Because we both know, um, <laughs> being creatures of the business, uh, they are very different in the way they tell news. Yeah, very different. Um, I I had uh, you know the best thing, uh, the thing I really learned. At Iowa State was broadcast writing, which we both know is different. You know, it's in a, you're supposed to use active voice and mm -hmm. a lot of ing words and and um, and things like that. And so uh, my educational foundation uh, at Iowa State is fantastic. And then um, through my 
TV classes. Um, you know, I what I really learned and learned more uh, through experience because I, I think that's uh, – that at least that was the best way for me to learn this, was how to produce stories, how to make, um, how to make words and video work together and uh, whatever Nat sound you pick up. And I just fell in love with it. Um, you know, I've been anchoring full time for, um, you know, about the last seven or eight years now and haven't hit the street much to report. But, um, you know, the, uh, the highlight of my career, the very best part of my career was, uh, you know, the uh, the years I spent on the street as a reporter. I just loved it. You, you're speaking of the, the uh, series Carlin Covers Central Iowa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that um, for about 14 years, I think, and it was really interesting um, the way I got into that because uh, I had uh, Kevin Cooney and I were uh, the, the great Kevin Cooney, good friend of mine. I think he's listening out there. Yeah, I know he's listening. He texted me, so uh, hi, Kevin. But um, he, uh, you know, he was a feature reporter. He did Kevin Cooney covers Iowa KCCI. And the news director, Dave Busick, another uh, legend in central Iowa television. I've been so fortunate to work with so many very talented people. Um, Dave Busick uh, said, hey, you know, Steve, your awareness number is down, you know, because we had hired uh, Jeanette Trumpeter and Cynthia Fodor at the time. Awareness, only... awareness number for those not in the industry means? It means, um, you know, if somebody were to walk up to uh, someone on the street and say, who's Steve Carlin? And if they didn't immediately say, oh, he's a reporter in Anchor at KCCI, you know, that's a check in the bad column. <laughs> so um, I had been doing three newscasts and was reduced to one, the least uh, watched of the three at 5 p.m., which, you know, we we still had a good audience, but nevertheless, um, you know, my awareness number was down, and Dave's initial idea was to have me do, like, an investigative report every month, and I will be the first person to tell you, Ben, I am not a good investigative reporter. I'm a more get-to-the-scene-react, you know, spit-it-right-out kind of guy. I love uh, spot news. Um, you know, I'd like to think that as uh, situations get hotter, I get cooler, and and um, so I handle that very well. And I was talking with Kevin Cooney, and Kevin said, you know, you should do features. Dana Carden, another KCCI grade, had just been elevated to assistant news director, and I had been doing some features, and Kevin said, you know, you're pretty good at it. Why don't you do it and call it Carlin Covers Central Iowa? So, boom, that, you know, well, I can thank uh, Kevin in great measure for helping me in that regard because those 14, 15 years I did, uh, those stories, um, just fantastic. Best part of my career. Mm-hmm. Steve Carlin of KCCI-TV uh, News with us uh, this hour. Uh, Steve, um, unbeknownst to you, I'm pretty sure we've, we've selected a, a clip of audio from uh, years ago, uh, a segment of Carlin Covers Central Iowa. Oh, this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's see if you agree with my choice. I, I surveyed the I number trust of. I you, man. Okay. You're a good man. Well, well, you, you need to. You need to. You need to. If you could set this up, this is an will be an excerpt from. Um, uh, well, a story about a turkey vulture in Osceola. Oh my! Who? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> who was nursed back to health. I think right. you, you, you talked with a woman who nursed it back to health, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't leave the caregiver's home. Tell us a little bit about before we hear. And, and this really points out, I, I really love it because it's, it's funny for one thing. I don't want to give away the punchline too soon. Uh, so I shouldn't give away the punchline either. Is well, this the audio well, from my You're the guest. You do, you, what, you, you do what you want. You, you do what okay. you want, Steve. Okay. Uh, you, you're the guest. But what do we need <laughs> to understand before we hear this little clip? 
Well, I, this woman was a wildlife specialist, and she does this all the time. Um, she does this not only with turkey vultures, but uh, with all kinds of animals. And she had nursed this one back to health, and it had either taken a shine to her or had taken a shine to where she lived. You know, she lived kind of out in the country. There was a big um, stand of trees behind her yard, so maybe, uh, you know, there was uh, there was good food source for this bird back there, but it would not leave. And um, the one thing where I remember uh, this woman telling me is, uh, you know, is I was shooting my stand-up, the part where you see me on camera, and I kept my photographer, Jesse Landel, Damn. good friend, kept telling me, you know, get closer, get closer. I need you to get in the shot. And then the woman, I got within about, I don't know, maybe five, six feet of this this bird. And the woman said, well, you know, their defense mechanism is to throw up on you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just froze. <laughs> because I did not want to have the contents of a turkey buzzard stomach all over me. Let's We're coming up on a break. Let's hear this excerpt uh, from Carlin Covers Central Iowa. Uh, as described, a turkey vulture who was nursed back to health in Osceola, Iowa, didn't want to leave the caregiver's home. Here's an excerpt. This guy, for some reason, decided to hang around. Hang around is right. All over Osceola. Where hasn't he shown up is more to the point. Schools, the library, golf course, grocery store, and many a backyard deck. They help keep our world sanitary. He may eat rotting flesh. We like roadkills. But this buzzard apparently has a fresh, friendly personality. Now you might be wondering why Beth doesn't just pick him up, take him someplace else, and put him with other vultures. Well, because vultures have a very unique defense mechanism. They'll puke on you. It's really, really nasty. It's a wonderful, wonderful mechanism, isn't it? Isn't it too bad we can't do that? Yeah. <laughs> Love your yeah at the end. <laughs> uh, everybody has the same thought if they didn't know this about turkey vultures. Brilliant. You are brilliant, turkey vulture. Uh, yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, oh. if you want somebody to get somebody away from you. <laughs> Steve Carlin. Yeah, Steve Carlin. Stay put there in our Des Moines studio at uh, uh, Iowa Public Radio. Steve's going to be with us for the rest of the hour. Uh, he's retiring. What is it? March? You're retiring, Steve? Yeah, March 1st. March 1st. March 1st. Yeah. Counting down the days, savoring the days, I, I would expect. When we come back, I want to ask uh, Steve about some of his highlights from his career at KCCI uh, TV, including a, a visit to the White House and an interview with. Uh, uh, then-President Obama. Also, his advocacy for mental health care access. And he's been very open about it, and I want to applaud Steve here in advance, you know, making this a less taboo subject, a uh, public figure going uh, public with mental health issues. Um, there's nothing better than that, uh, to, to have it treated and treated well. Steve, stay put. We'll be back with Steve Carlin of KCCI-TV in just a moment. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
And we're back with River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. My guest this hour, Steve Carlin of KCCI-TV News in our Des Moines studio. A familiar figure to central Iowa. He's spent more than three decades at the station. He's been host of the nightly news for several years, and uh, he plans to retire in March. Um, uh, Steve, again, wonderful to have you in our studio today. In a few minutes, I wanted to uh, ask you about your longtime advocacy for mental health access. Um, I know you've been working alongside the state's chapter of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, doing some very, very important work there uh, with sharing your own uh, struggles with depression. But first of all, uh, take us back to some um, some of the, the biggest uh, uh, memories, the, the, the memories you'll cherish for years after you leave KCCI. Um, uh, one of them has to be that uh, visit to the White House, wasn't it, in 2016? Yeah, 2016, it was right after um, uh, President Obama nominated Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, that did not end up the way that uh, the president wanted it to end up. But nevertheless, um, we uh, were called to Washington. It was very interesting. I was just sitting at my desk one desk one day, and I get this phone call and says, this is so-and-so from the White House. We would like you to come to Washington and interview the president. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, is, this a, is this a joke? <laughs> and um, I said, I just told them I can't make that decision on my own. Um, let me transfer you to my news director. And so I sent uh, the call in there. But, uh, yeah, we were uh, called there uh, to interview the president along with um, reporters from um, five other states uh, that had senators that were uh, running for re-election um, in what the Democrats uh, thought would be vulnerable states. And I think we were called because at that time, um, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley was the uh, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and uh, they um, wanted to let Iowans know uh, what uh, a differing viewpoint on Merrick Garland and his uh, nomination to the Supreme Court was compared to what uh, Senator Grassley was saying at that time. Mm-hmm. What's what stood out to you about the? I mean, you spent quite a number of hours at, in in the White House. Uh, what are your your chief memories? Any surprises there? Um, it, it was it was a whole day. We got to watch a noon news briefing, which is um, pretty interesting. And um, they, I did not know that they have assigned seats in that room. I learned very quickly. And so I kind of watched from the side. But, um, um, it, you know, it's just an awe-inspiring place. Um, you know, it's something that you only see on TV. And to be invited there um, to uh, not only uh, stroll the grounds as much as they will let you, but to go inside and uh, get a few minutes with uh, the president of the United States, um, that's, some, that's some pretty heady stuff. And uh, it was great. They have uh, this area they call uh, Pebble Beach uh, outside the White House, which is an area, I don't know if you've seen it, Ben, the area with uh, all the tents, and then they're kind of like uh, slots for uh, each of the networks. And uh, we're owned by Hearst Televi- Television. They have a slot out there. And so it's where you report from. And whenever you see, you know, the White House behind a reporter, and they're, all the reporters are perfectly lit up because that's those are uh, permanent setups. 
Um, when you see the White House behind them, they are reporting from Pebble Beach, and I got to do that mm-hmm. in three newscasts, and um, you know that's uh, that was just great. I mm-hmm. loved it. What about talking with the president? What stands out there? Um, it was really interesting because uh, you know his his. Uh, path toward the presidency. He started here in the state of Iowa, and uh, he had not forgotten it. And um, I had interviewed him um, as a candidate a couple of times before. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, he didn't remember me, but he acted like he did. He had an aide next to him, and I'm sure the aide was Steve Carlin, TV when I walk up and, you know, President Obama, Steve, good to see you. You know, how's everything in Des Moines? You know, yeah, and uh, so um, just a, a very gracious, uh, gentle, intelligent man, and it was uh, fun uh, being able to ask him some questions. Mm-hmm. Are there any reports, instances, news that you've covered uh, that have been um, perhaps equally satisfying or um, satisfying in a different way that you'll look back on? Oh, all the feature stories. Um, we. Uh, I worked with uh, photographer Courtney Kinzer quite a lot. Courtney is a legend in the Des Moines television market, um, one of the most uh, talented people you will find anywhere in this business. Um, worked with a lot of really good ones, but worked mostly with Courtney. And um, we always said that, um, you know, when we would go out to do a Carly Crow Central Iowa story, we wanted to take people to places they wouldn't ordinarily get to go, to meet people they wouldn't ordinarily get to meet who do extraordinary things. And along the way, um, you know, traveling the highways and byways of Iowa, I mean, sometimes we'd go two hours away from Des Moines and turn a story in the same day. Um, We saw a lot of places. We met a lot of people, wonderful people, Mm -hmm. and um, saw our beautiful state in a way that a lot of people uh, don't have the opportunity to. So uh, that was just uh, a fantastic part of my career. Steve Carlin of KCCI TV and News joining us uh, this hour. Spent more than three decades at the station, host of the nightly news now for several years, plans to retire in March. Um, Let's talk uh, about mental illness. And uh, you are very open about your have been for some time with your struggles with mental health uh, uh, and advocacy for mental health care access and your struggles with depression. Uh, When did uh, were you first aware uh, that you had a a problem with depression? Well, uh, it goes back to something um, that we talked about earlier. Um, When I left school, when I was 20 years old, when I left the University of Iowa, uh, as I said, my parents, you know, they were disappointed in me, but um, not unjustifiably so. But I knew I had really, um, I'd really let them down. Um, And I I felt it. I had uh, what was my first very deep, depressive episode, Um, uh, you know, did not feel um, for a while like uh, I wanted to live anymore. And what I did, I would go to my not-so-great job all day, and then uh, I would come home, and kind of like Forrest Gump, I'd put on my running shoes, and I would just go. Um, I did not seek any professional help at that time, and um, so I just kind of uh, swept it under the rug, but um, I was able to get myself back to a place where 
you know, I could decide to go back to school and and um, things have ended up the way they have. And uh, I'm very fortunate to yeah. have had the career I've had. Describe, Steve, if you can, what a bad bout of depression is like for you. Uh, recall that mindset. Yeah, for me, this has happened um, uh, two really, I've had two really uh, deep, episodes. For me, I describe it, I've described it to my therapist as it feels as though I'm wearing a coat made of lead. Um, It's just so heavy. Um, I mean, physically as well as mentally. um, uh, I have a bit of tunnel vision Mm -hmm. um, and um, I just am not physically who I normally am. Um, my thought process goes uh, in a downward spiral, and um, you know it. Uh, it's it's as bad physically as it is in my head. Yeah. And what what are the what are the thoughts when you're wearing that lead jacket? Um, the thoughts are just uh, everything's so negative. Um, which is really interesting because, you know, people, you know, especially when they first heard about my struggles, were like, uh, but you're so positive. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it's what's really frustrating about it is that uh, I feel as though I can't control it. And, um, you know, it took me way too long to seek help. Yeah. Uh, because the help has been uh, very, very beneficial. When, but it is, I, I liken it to um, maybe having an addiction or, or something like that. It's something, you know, that I, I deal with and consider uh, all the time, all the time. Yeah. Um, you, you said you were very hesitant about seeking help and you should have seeked, uh, sought help uh, earlier. Uh, what, what was the breaking point, the turning point that led you to seek, seek help? Well, my wife Lynn and I have two beautiful children, and so this was uh, uh, 2018. Um, we had my wife is a very organized person, and uh, we had these huge a huge tub of pictures of the kids, and so she wanted to organize them chronologically and put them in in albums. And this was shortly after I started. Uh, receiving treatment, I want to say just maybe about a month or two. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm looking at these pictures and I'm seeing all of these smiling faces, including mine, and um, just realizing, Ben, that I wasn't totally there, um, totally as committed to the good time as maybe my as my wife and kids were, as I, as I know they were. You saw in the picture, if I'm understanding you, that you just had a brave face on, but you you weren't feeling the feeling the joy in those pictures. Well, I knew that I wasn't always feeling the joy in those pictures, um, and um, you know I've I've uh, kind of operated that way the majority of my life. But when you look at it. Um, when you're alongside the people who you love most in the world and you know that um, you you weren't totally there, maybe there were times that because of my depression, um, I maybe ruined uh, situations for my wife and my children, um, you know, yeah. selfishly, things that had I sought treatment um, earlier, uh, those things wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, you know, I've asked my wife and my kids uh, for forgiveness for, for those times that I wasn't who I needed to be when I needed to be 
the best person I could be. Back to the, that tub of family pictures, what happened in that moment? What, what would we have seen had there been a, a video recording it? I cried. I cried for, oh, I don't know, it just seemed like forever. And yeah. my wife did everything she possibly could to, uh, to comfort me. I, you know, I haven't sobbed like that since I, you know, was a little kid. And um, it was just um, a very, very emotional day. And then for some reason, I don't know if it was just, you know, some kind of uh, act of self-flagellation or, or something like that, you know, that I wanted to punish myself. I, for some reason, I picked up my phone and I went on my, um, my KCCI Facebook page and I just wrote about what I had just experienced with those pictures, how I'd let my family down, and um, that I didn't want, and that I did this at age 58, mm -hmm. and I just didn't want anybody else to wait that long to seek help for something that is treatable. It sounds like you had an epiphany. I did. I did. Um, either that or, you know, uh, something uh, smacked me in the face. Yeah. You know, um, I needed to wake up. Um, that woke me up. That gave me uh, a level of consciousness with regard to um, my responsibility to my family that maybe I didn't take as seriously um, prior to that. That, that I should have had. Yeah. And what was the reaction from viewers when you put that on Facebook, a reaction from family, friends, uh, viewers uh, to uh, saying you, you had a problem with depression? What exactly did you say? You just said what? I just said that, you know, hey, I just had this experience. I have let my family down uh, for far too long. Um, I am seeking treatment for this now. I am going to change, and um, I, nothing like this is ever going to happen again. If you or someone you know needs mental health treatment, please go and seek it out mm -hmm. because uh, plenty of help is available. Um, there are professionals who can help you uh, get closer to where you want to be, and uh, don't do what I did and wait for so long. Mm -hmm. And you've been working with NAMI on this, NAMI I've Iowa. been working with NAMI. I've been working with, um, I can't remember, um, please forgive me, folks, at the Des Moines Pastoral Counseling Center. Um, they have changed their name. Um, I've worked with them a little bit. I also, uh, every now and then, um, businesses, individuals, civic groups, um, people like that will ask me to speak. Uh, and uh, so I'm happy to do that uh, yeah. whenever my schedule allows. It must be a tremendous feeling of satisfaction, Steve. I can only guess how many people you have helped in the last few minutes telling that story. People are not alone, that there is help, um, that uh, it must be just very satisfying to, as a public figure, uh, talk about mental illness, your own. Yeah, it's it's satisfy satisfying, but it's incredibly humbling, too. Um, the, uh, the outpouring of support was just incredible. And, um, I mean, I, thousands and thousands of responses and, uh, the, um, what I, what I was really heartened to see was how many men, um, told me that, you know, if you can do this, I can do this mm -hmm. because there is such a stigma surrounding mental illness and mental health treatment that, and I fell victim to that. 
Um, I grew up in a family where, you know, you're supposed to be tough. You're not supposed to show any weakness. Um, you know, and I think it's uh, kind of in all of our natures, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, something that has to do with, uh, with your mental health, that I can battle my way through it. Well, to have um, so many people, and especially so many men, um, say that they were going to uh, seek help, that was just incredibly humbling and heartening to me. Mm-hmm. Do you still struggle with depression? What's it uh, like now? Yeah, I do. But, um, you know, the uh, the therapy I've had, a w- wonderful therapist, um, uh, she has given me uh, tools. Uh, I know what my triggers are. Um, I also know that uh, if um, I'm heading a little bit into a downward spiral that um, I just need to go off on my own and, uh, you know, not, not, uh, not spread it to anybody else. And so, um, you know, I've, I've uh, learned tremendous tools and skills to deal with it. But yeah, I mean, like I told you earlier, it's, uh, to me, it's, it seems like, uh, you know, it, this must be what an addiction is like, because I think about it every day, Mm -hmm. um, uh, at many points during a day. So, um, you know, I just, uh, try to, Keep it at bay. Keep it in its place. Fascinating. And thank you be, for being so open about it with, with our uh, listeners, uh, too, Steve. We have just a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you in closing about the changes you've seen in, in TV journalism during your, your decades uh, of work. Uh, what comes to mind there? Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, the repealing of the um, the Fairness Doctrine in 1987 that— um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, mandated that all uh, broadcast stations, TV and radio, had to uh, present opposing, uh, had to present uh, equal time, had to give equal time to opposing viewpoints. Um, you know, that uh, that has really created uh, a lot of the media universe that uh, we live in now. Um, a lot of the negativity I see in the country, um, it has uh, taken away from the credibility that um uh, journalists like those at KCCI and Iowa Public Radio who work very hard to um, to be as even-handed as we possibly can. Um, you know, we're dealing with, uh, you know, the power and force of opinion. And, um, you know, that's, uh, sometimes that's a very difficult thing to combat. Yeah. You, you went, it's interesting you go back to the late 80s because it wasn't really noticed too much at that time. This was under uh, President Reagan, the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine. And I, too, point to that as a, a, a real um, turning point for our country, for our news media. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm actually pleased to hear you point to the same um, thing and, and uh, the resulting news media environment we have right now. Uh, how would you describe uh, especially commercial TV journalism now? Uh, commercial TV journalism now is, um, you know, it's very different than when I started. Uh, when I started, the uh, our newsroom was structured very much like a newspaper newsroom. And, and by the way, I think, um, you know, another uh, really uh, critical impact um, to journalism is the um, kind of fading away of the uh, the local newspaper. Yeah. I always looked at uh, our business as um, in TV, we're kind of the headline service. 
you know, um, we can give you things immediately. We can um, give you some contacts. We can give you some information. But, you know, as a uh, a good news viewer, you might want to read your local newspaper, too, so that you can totally flesh out an issue and really know what it means. But um, our newsroom, when I started, was structured uh, like an, a newspaper newsroom. Uh, we had beats. I've worked um, state house, course and cops, Polk County government, um, you know, on down the line. And you learn, um, you make contacts, you learn how things work. Uh, when I got into this business, I didn't uh, know the process of, of uh, you know, a piece of legislation going through the state house, but I do now, and I'm glad I know it. Um, I think that um, I, we, we could concentrate. Uh, in the TV newsroom more on things that uh, actually matter to people. I know it's uh, it's a little bit like castor oil. No kid back uh, in the, what, in the 20th century liked to take castor oil. It tasted bad, but, you know, every now and then you've got to get some of that boring news um, because um, that's going to help our democracy uh, work because um, the people who are consuming the news will know how um, our government and our society is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. In the in the 15, 20 seconds we have, what now after you retire in March? Well, I am a, uh, I have to thank the people of Iowa because I'm an Iowa success story. I was uh, educated in the public schools. They were well-funded at the time, went to two state universities, uh, well-funded at the time, came out with little debt. I paid for my education myself. I grew up in a great city of Iowa City with a heart and a soul that exposed me to people who don't look like me, people who have different faith traditions than I have. And um, I have come out a person who um, just wants to make uh, wants everybody to get along and wants uh, to help as many people as I can live the best life they can in the state of Iowa. So thank you, Iowa taxpayers in the state of Iowa. Steve Carlin, uh, thank you for this conversation. Steve Carlin of KCCI TV News, we wish you all the best. Thank you. It's been a delight to hear your thoughts, authentic and honest and warm and funny, all of those things and many more. Steve Carlin, Thank you for coming into our studio. You're great, Ben. Thank you. And I love Iowa Public Radio. Okay, back at you, man. Take care. I'm Ben Kiefer. Join us again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.